0: Brief content warning for this uh, episode and for the movie discussed in it. It does contain uh, themes of emotional abuse, relationship abuse, domestic abuse, sexual assault, suicide and rape. So please go into it forewarned, forearmed and if you have any doubts at all, please go and listen to one of the other episodes. Hello, everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I am sitting down and finally watching my copy of The Love Witch which I purchased way way long ago back in the midst of time when I began the podcast and I haven't gotten around to viewing because it's a film that I felt would take a lot of looking at thinking about it wasn't just going to be one of these throwaway trashy films that I tend to review, no shade but you know who you are so uh, i finally sat down with this one today and oh boy howdy was that was there a lot to this film so this is going to be less of a sort of review and more of an exploration of my experience with the film and what i took from it by the time i reached the ending and that's not to say i won't be giving my opinion on whether i think it's a good film or not because short answer is yes i do think it's a good film there were however some areas where i was just like hmm this is a little bit strange a little bit weird could have been maybe carried off a little bit better um so this is a film from 2016 which was written edited and directed and produced by anna biller who is for want of a better phrase a feminist filmmaker i feel like if you make films where women are considered people you are considered a feminist filmmaker and this is somehow groundbreaking but um the the film itself the love Witch*, does have a lot of that sort of feminist theory running through it So this is a film which, and I'll read you the back of the box description, contains a witch. So we're already on to one that bucks the trend. Elaine, played by Samantha Robinson, a beautiful young witch is determined to find a man to love her. In her gothic San Franciscan apartment, she brews love potions, then lures men and seduces them. Her sorcery works only too well, leaving her with a string of hapless victims. When she finally meets the man of her dreams, her desperation to be loved will drive her to the brink of insanity and murder. I'm slightly concerned... whoever wrote the blurb did not in fact watch the film because in the film it says that she's moved away from san francisco so i don't think she's in a san Franciscan apartment and also it says it drives her to the brink of insanity and murder when she spoiler alert does kill an alarming amount of people throughout the movie So it's is not like she's left on the brink of murder or reaches the brink of murder. She gets there pretty fucking quickly. But but all that aside, I would say the blurb is 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 reasonably accurate in terms of Elaine's character. I would kind of picture uh, between uh, the main character of *Season of the Witch* and the main character of *Crazy Ex-Girlfriend*. She has that kind of downtrodden beaten up by the patriarchy kind of vibe from Season of the Witch, not to mention the actual witchcraft elements. But in terms of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, she definitely has that whole kind of preoccupation with love and idealisation of love as a state in which to be in. And it doesn't seem to matter who she is in love with or what that relationship is like. Love is love and that's what she's out to get. Visually, the film has that very 1960s look to it i have no idea when it's meant to be set because i swear at one point one of the characters uses a smartphone but i guess it's meant to be set in the 1960s and maybe i just hallucinated a smartphone which is fine. Um, But it does have that look. I guess that's also what reminded me of Season of the Witch. It's very bright, very poppy. There's a lot of really fantastic costumes and set design in the film. Uh, It kind of reminded me of the original Suspiria movie in terms of like the bright colours and things, Uh, but more so. And it was it was very fun to watch and sort of see all that stuff going through it. Not to mention the artwork, because the main character is an artist. Um, So that was really satisfying as well. So we start out with some narration as Elaine drives her car along. We find that she's out of love. Uh, A relationship has just ended with a guy called Jerry. More on him later. And she's groping through her handbag on the passenger seat, which is full of tarot cards and cigarettes, which is uh, very on brand for this character and basically tells you all you need to know about her. She alludes to uh, a nervous breakdown. Uh, mentions intrusive thoughts and we see like a short flashback to her initiation as a witch uh so there's there's a lot of stuff going on in this piece of narration and a lot of it is unpacked throughout the story uh she also talks about how men are sort of turned off or frightened by female assertiveness and that you have to be sneaky and tricky she then meets the, the first character but her name is trish and i thought she was a realtor but she's apparently uh Barbara's ex-interior designer, Barbara being the owner of the house that is not in San Francisco. Uh, Barbara used to dance in San Francisco with Elaine, the main character, and Trish helped to decorate her house. So she is letting Elaine in to use the apartment inside it while Barbara is away. Trish reveals that she decorated the apartment with the colours of the Thoth Tarot as you do. And it's a very striking apartment and very pretty, although not a model for candle safety. She also, as soon as they meet, like uh, as soon as Elaine and Trish meet, uh, Trish says that Elaine is very pretty and then follows with this up with, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. I'm married, which if this is meant to be taking place in like the the sort of era in which it is styled to look like, that's kind of weird because I feel like you wouldn't automatically assume in the 1960s that a woman who called another woman pretty was a lesbian but breezing past that the two of them go out for tea and cake at a women's only victorian tea room which sounds like a concept i would love to go there um but they have a little chat mainly in which it is revealed that trish is kind of a feminist in a, a very kind of limp way um but that she doesn't constantly believe that her job as a wife is to feed into her husband's fantasies and give him sex whenever he wants you know radical thinking like that which does seem to be radical to elaine and trish even says that elaine has been brainwashed by the patriarchy which i kind of agree with because elaine's energy here is very much like a barbie but like from when barbie was first a thing and not now that she can be an astronaut or the president but you know You just make your man happy, that's your role in life. You give him love, you get love. That's all you need. Richard then turns up in the women's only Victorian tea room, which uh, I feel like it should have a bouncer of some kind. But as soon as... Uh, elaine lays eyes on him there's this kind of eerie bong noise and she like gives him a look so i guess he's either marked for death or marked for sex or maybe both i don't know we then get some really lovely scenes Uh, elaine is in her apartment she's painting a lady riding on a unicorn it looks like she's kind of working on designs that are tarot inspired or maybe for tarot cards she also makes some sachets she makes some puppets some candles and some soap i always love scenes like this in films where people make stuff especially when it's witchy so i really love that i love any film that makes me want to go and like pick up my pestle and mortar and get making candle blends she then casts a love spell and uh part of that is to say uh send me a beautiful sweet man to love me and then she just keeps repeating love me in a way that seems to come entirely from a place of insecurity i thought it was quite interesting the wording of the spell like Send me a beautiful man to love me like I love him, because it doesn't seem like she is capable of loving anybody. Which seems to be like kind of a running theme that she's she's out there trying to be loved by all these people. But is she capable of loving any of them back? Because she doesn't seem overly concerned about any of them. She then goes to a magical apothecary uh, owned by a lady called Wendy, who has agreed to sell her soap and candles and stuff. Uh, this isn't terribly relevant. We then get a bit more voiceover about why elaine became a witch uh, and she says that it was basically all about the magic powers for her and that it's just using your will to get what you want which seems kind of accurate but also kind of a, a very selfish kind of narcissistic way to look at it it's like getting stuff for you that you want just because you want it and not stuff that you need or um helping yourself to get things for yourself she sees a guy who reminds her of jerry who we've seen so far only briefly in a flashback where he drinks from a glass of what i assume is poison and then dies so she sees a guy who looks vaguely like him and we get another like weird eye contact kind of bong moment so she she's clearly interested she kind of eyeballs him until he comes over and they chat for a bit where they share some very stilted conversation about liking nature and how he has a cabin in the woods and how she would like to go to that cabin now oh okay let's go to the cabin i kind of feel like the dialogue has been done like this to ape the really weird and awkward dialogue of a lot of films again from like the 1960s that kind of unreal feeling which isn't like dialogue written for people to say it sort of feels like dialogue written for a book so if that was the intention it's very successful we find out a little bit about this guy who apparently loves nature That's basically all we find out about him aside from the fact that he is a literature professor and I guess kind of a corporate hippie type person who just believes in free love, but I guess only for him. And his name is Wayne. She invites herself over to cook him dinner at the cabin and gives him a flask of something to drink, which is most assuredly bad news. He starts to see like whirling rainbows which is kind of filmed like there's a bunch of sun catches in the room just reflecting rainbows everywhere which is really cool. Uh, she then does a little bit of a, a strip tease for him and he starts to have like weird hallucinations. They sleep together and then straight away he seems kind of overcome and, and choked up with like emotions or maybe just a reaction to the hallucinogens whatever but he starts talking about how she doesn't play games she's not um she doesn't have an agenda she isn't trying to push him into a relationship or marriage he kind of feels like he's fallen in love with her immediately which may well be this spell that she's cast working um but meanwhile she just kind of sits there dead-eyed like a doll that you've taken the batteries out of which kind of leads back into my thing about how like she doesn't seem to really love these guys or care about them at all Uh, He also mentions that all the women who are attractive enough for him are stupid but the smart ones are ugly so clearly he has a chip on his shoulder about something. She continues to say things like that she loves him and she calls him baby but she's not actually looking at him like she's slightly behind him and just looking at the ceiling like she's reading cue cards of lines that people say when they're in love so again she doesn't seem to be very connected to this guy she's also internally calling him a pussy and not a real man because he's like too emotional and she mentions that no one ever comforted her when things were bad and when she was emotional so again hinting at something that's happened to her she then makes him breakfast i'm not sure if this is directly the next day but he looks awful he looks like the guy in misery but like halfway through the movie like when he's really bad and addicted to pain medication Spoiler alert for that movie and also the book, but they're both very old and you should watch slash read them right now. But yeah, he looks terrible and probably on the brink of death. She does a little tarot reading where the Three of Swords comes up. The Three of Swords is a recurring card. It came out of her purse with the cigarettes. We see it in numerous readings. So um, I guess that's kind of interesting if you like tarot and want to read into that. Uh, She then goes back to see him, but he is dead. So called it. She then cries. And I was kind of confused by this because it felt like up until this point, she really didn't care about him. But I guess she just wanted him there to like want her. And now he's not there anymore, which makes us sad. So she gets a jar and pees into it with great aim. uh, adds a used tampon some herbs and says, now a part of me will always be with you. So she's like burying this witch bottle uh, to symbolise part of her with him outside the cabin. She also mentions that she's buried people before which is concerning and I'm not sure who that applies to because it seems like a lot of deaths have happened around her but not necessarily ones that she's been directly implicated in and would have buried the body for so confused as to what that's about. When Elaine gets home she's met by Trish who's come to check on her and Trish mentions that she's going out of town to a convention so her husband will be alone and vulnerable which uh, Elaine basically wastes no time in acting on we then cut to a local burlesque club uh, where some of the locals and the bartender are discussing a body which has been pulled out of the river with a pentacle on it and they blame witches for this this doesn't seem to be related to wayne's murder so um i guess it's just a separate killing the bartender like is quite vocal in his blaming of witches and meanwhile at a nearby table elaine and barbara are chatting Elaine is complaining about how Wayne had all his emotions coming out and there was clearly something weird and wrong with him for that Barbara then warns her about love spells and then a new guy comes over called Gain who is revealed to be like the high priest of the coven that I guess Elaine is in and Barbara is his kind of high priestess he gives her like a kind of variation on like the fivefold kiss and this seems to make Elaine very uncomfortable this guy has like very floofy dark hair on top of his head and also a weird little, little pointy beard and my first instinct was that he looked like a picture of Jared Gardner that I'd seen once so I googled it and he does have similar hair and beard to him so I have no idea if that was intentional but bearing in mind what I'm going to say about this character it's it's quite telling and adds like a new layer of symbolism to the film. I again, also warns Elaine about performing love spells and the crowd at the bar start to get kind of aggressive and shouting abuse at the witches but they basically ignore them gain them reminisces about the the good old days when no one cared if you were a witch and you could just have bunches of orgies and things Or do you seem to be his interest in witchcraft, to be honest? He introduces a pair of hot blonde twins who are called uh, Moon and Star and says he has brought them to the ballest club to learn about the magic of dance and uh, women's sexuality. He then goes on to deliver a little treatise on this with Barbara, sort of chiming in, while we watch a striptease happening on stage. And I thought it was quite interesting because he talks about how witches have to work out where their power comes from and women's power comes from their sexuality and that all the bad things that have happened like witch hunts and things have been to do with men's fear of women's sexuality while at the same time we are looking at a woman being viewed for sexual purposes so her sexuality is on display for men and they are not afraid of it they're like openly ogling her So to me this kind of read as like there is the way that things were where women were repressed and their sexuality was kind of pushed back as being something to be ashamed of but now it's sort of the reverse where their sexuality is being used by men for men and it's again not empowering for them but for a completely separate reason. So this idea that on the face of it witchcraft might look like this like liberating feminist thing but Underneath that, it's all still about women being naked in a circle full of like a clothed high priest and having these sexual things done to them, like having their breasts kissed and being touched by people and being expected to be taking part in orgies and things. So it's not, in fact, very liberating, which is sort of my takeaway from it not sure if that was intentional but that was my interpretation later on that evening elaine uses some flying ointment but like all over her body the way you would put nivea cream on and we get some voiceover of jerry getting at her about housework and how he's ashamed to have people over and she's letting the place go and basically kind of showing that he's Uh, not this ideal guy because so far all we've seen of him is the bit where he died and also the picture that she keeps of him and keeps like stroking on her little guy shrine we also hear another guy's voice which i assumed was her dad and he says that she's crazy and stupid to believe in witches uh, and that she's fat um, and various other things so it's clear that there's been a lot of men putting her down in her life she then relives her initiation which kind of fed back into my interpretation of the burlesque club scene because she's sort of laying on the altar while game talks about how the woman is the original altar like talking about her as if she's a piece of furniture and and then he like climbs on top of her and she clearly doesn't want to take part in what's happening or doesn't has agreed to do it but doesn't really like him that much Um, so again that kind of idea that it's not as liberating as it might appear to outsiders. We're introduced to the recently promoted Sergeant Griff Meadows, who is a policeman and who is apparently investigating some of the stuff to do with where Wayne the Professor went missing because Shelley, who is a blonde lady he was talking to in the park earlier in the movie, comes to ask about whether he's been found, is he missing or kidnapped? And uh, she says that he started talking to a weird lady in the park And then disappeared and suggests that maybe he might have gone to his cabin. So the cops go to check that out. They very quickly arrive at the cabin and find that a lot of stuff is amiss. All of the the food from the meals has just been left out to spoil. Like she just left without clearing anything up or, or doing anything. Which is interesting and kind of feeds back into her being got at about housework. This kind of subtle thing of her not doing that and not caring about it. And then they go outside to the very obvious grave in the ground. And what I found funny was they pick up the the jar of pee and one cop shows it to the other and he's like, what's this? And the guy looks at it and goes, I don't know, because like he can't even identify a used tampon, which is uh, what Elaine was saying. She was preparing it that most guys have never seen a used tampon before. And both cops seem... Content to completely ignore Shelley, who is kind of going to pieces in the background after discovering this grave. And meanwhile, Elaine makes Richard some chocolate cake and some dinner and then gives him a comically large glass with very little wine in it, but I'm assuming it has some sort of potion in it. He reveals to her that he has fantasies of wanting to be a gangster with a mole or a cowboy visiting a hooker, so these kind of like dangerous, adventurous occupations, but also with a a woman of lower standing on his elbow. Um, Then she does a really weird striptease to what is at first, what I can only describe as negative music. Like she definitely turns music on, but it feels like it creates a deeper silence than there was when there was no music. And then what I can only describe as Indiana Jones peril music with a lot of gongs comes on and i wasn't sure if that was intentional given the fantasies that he had described but it was an odd choice and definitely hard to strip to Uh, griff then goes to see a professor who specializes in black magic because it is always a professor or a goth who will blow this shit wide open he reveals that what he has found is a witch bottle used by witches for protection which um Essentially, yes, it is. Uh, He also reveals that they found devil's weed in the tox screen that they did on Wayne's body. So he's been poisoned and they know that. And they talk a little bit about witches and the professor sort of talks about how there are black witches who do sacrifice and blood magic and how there are Wiccans who are good and lovely and do no harm, which is a, a dichotomy that we've seen before in films like this and which is still incorrect. Elaine then attends some sort of circle or sabbat, uh, during which time she's sort of buttonholed by Gain, and he refers to her victims as if he knows what's going on, but nothing ever comes of this. And she tells him not to touch her and then just kind of walks off. Uh, We then cut back to Richard, who appears to be deeply pining for Elaine. Uh, He's crying a lot. She's already spoken to Barbara and said that he was like too emotional and too needy. So she's obviously dumped him. But he appears to be drinking something from like a Kilner bottle. And I was unclear as to whether this was alcohol or more of the potion because it looked potion coloured. Griff actually makes really good time on the police investigation that he's conducting. If he was an episode of Law and Order, they would be 20 minutes long and just a lot more condensed because straight away after visiting the professor to learn about black magic, he goes to the apothecary where Elaine is selling her stuff. I don't know how he knew to go there, but maybe there's only one witch shop in this town. But he shows Wendy the witch bottle and she shows him a pre-made version that is created by elaine so he then goes to her apartment to ask her about wayne so many of these people's names rhyme and i don't know why Um, i also questioned why you would buy a pre-made witch bottle when most of what goes into one is stuff from you so basically what you're buying is a jar but there we go it's quite funny in this moment when he goes to her apartment because she's doing a lot of stuff with like an ostentatious chemistry set like if you ever watch sabrina the teenage witch When Zelda had that weird like laptop thing, which was like a suitcase that opened up into like a full on lab and they made like witchy stuff with it. It's like that. There's lots of beakers of like food colouring water and stuff. But I thought it kind of interesting because it does imply that Elaine is very uh, scientifically minded and not as sort of doe eyed and uh, empty headed as she puts on for most of the movie. Um, because she's obviously doing all of this very technical chemistry stuff and making soap, which is quite difficult. And she appears to be doing it with like lye and and various other ingredients because she's wearing pretty heavy duty gloves. So she's not stupid, Um, but she does have a cauldron, which is producing a lot of very bluish purple smoke. And and, um, Griff just kind of wafts this away and goes, are you a witch? It's like, well, you're wafting my cauldron, you tell me. Uh, She then tells him that witchcraft saved her life. But um, does not elaborate on this, so we never really get a clear idea of what's actually happened to Elaine. She then gives him the eyeballs of Bong, which I guess implies that she's into him. And she says he is the Knight of Wands and therefore her fate. He accepts this and they go for a horse ride. The horse ride is curtailed when they hear weird renaissance music and stumble upon a weird renaissance fair which seems to be being thrown by her coven and i wondered why she wasn't invited but um it's apparently a summer solstice celebration but i guess maybe not one she was required to go to um griff seems a little bit freaked out by this but quickly gets on board uh, they decide to do what is called a faux wedding or a mock wedding and uh Elaine and Griff get dressed up in different tents and then basically have a hand fastening. After a musical interlude, which is a little song about love, musical interludes are from now on the thing I hate more than dream sequences because I'd never had to sit through one before and I hated it. No shade to the movie, but a musical interlude to me is just like a dream sequence. My brain goes to sleep and just says, Wake me up when the plot resumes. Like, I know there's symbolism, but if you have to put it in a dream sequence, don't. We then, interestingly, get a voiceover from Griff. And he's like the first non-Elaine character to get a voiceover. And he talks about how he's not ever going to fall in love because it's not manly. And he needs to be tough and hard inside to do his job as New York's best detective. Uh, But no, seriously, he is too manly to fall in love and is very, obviously, a very macho, kind of not very emotional man. So... Nothing like the the previous two. Meanwhile, we also get intercut with Elaine's internal monologue, where she talks about how the more you get to know a man, the more you love his faults, the more you love all the little things he does. While Griff is simultaneously thinking, the more you know a woman, the less you love her because the mystery is gone. And she suffocates you with her love. So clearly these two are a match made in Poughkeepsie. It's not going to go well. Regardless of his feelings on love, Griff puts the brakes on the Wayne Case uh, because he doesn't want to consider that Elaine might have been involved. His partner, however, is determined to keep talking about it and he reveals that Elaine's old coven had some suspicious deaths in it and then her ex husband Jerry died, um, and obviously that's pretty suspicious. So Griff does the most logical thing and punches his partner in the face because he's manly. The next section of the uh, film can just be summed up in four words Trish worried, Richard dead because Richard uh, has killed himself and Trish is now very upset. She has an awkward tea date with Elaine at the Victorian tea parlour that only allows women in. Yes, I'm still talking about it. And uh, it's really weird and it's very clear in that section that Elaine has no interest in Trish as a person. She's very self-involved. She doesn't seem at all bothered by the fact that either Richard is dead or the fact that Trish has just lost her husband and discovered his like gory remains. So she does not come across very well in the scene, aside from being a massive narcissist. She lets Trish try on the ring that she received during the mock wedding, but then leaves before Trish gives it back. So Trish, who may or may not have a smartphone in this scene, I'm not sure, takes the ring to Elaine's apartment to drop it off and lets herself in. Elaine has left every candle lit, so for a smart lady with a chemistry set, she's dumb on the subject of fire safety. Trish then settles down at the vanity table in the apartment. She tries on some of Elaine's lipstick, then some of her eyeshadow, then her wig, because part of her really long dark hair is a a wig that she is apparently on this day left at home. She then tries on some of Elaine's lingerie, but over her own underwear, like she's trying on a swimsuit in a shop, which I find found like weirdly funny. Cause <laughs> it's like, I mean, I am gonna like come into your house uninvited and smear all your cosmetics all over me, but uh I draw the line at trying on your bra without wearing my bra underneath. She then finds the guy shrine, including the picture of her late husband Richard, obviously freaks out, then opens a drawer and finds a bundle in it labelled Richard and then inside is a piece of paper titled Love Spell for Richard. So if Elaine was trying to cover her tracks she has failed miserably like use a fake name just use an initial leave some vagary to this some mystery perhaps but no she's basically might as well have just labeled this evidence and uh trish is very upset At this point, Elaine comes in behind Trish and picks up an afme because she seems disturbed by the fact that uh, Trish has found this evidence. However, she doesn't then kill Trish. She just shrieks like a girl while Trish attacks her and calls her a slut. So she loses that fight. Trish then absconds with the massive bundle of evidence. And although it looks like uh, Elaine is trying to do a spell to make Trish's car crash, Trish's car does not crash. She's fine. And she manages to get this evidence to Griff. We see then the coven doing a ritual with Griff's picture to bind the two of them together for eternity. So we'll see how well that goes. Griff then goes to the balesque club to meet up with Elaine. And while he's there, he listens to the bartender and some of the waitresses again talking about the murdered teacher case and their dislike of witches. They also talk about the two dancers, who are Star and Moon, who cannot dance, but are very popular. So, again, drawing those parallels between sex work and witchcraft is something that is sort of painted at being liberating, but in a lot of cases isn't. And it, it really depends on sort of the reasons behind doing what you're doing. Griff then tells Elaine when she arrives that they've identified her DNA on Wayne's body, and uh, that he has the poppet so that that's some evidence and i was a bit confused by the mention of dna having just seen the smartphone so i was again trying to work out when this movie is meant to be set I'm editing sarah here for some reason i didn't google this at the time but have just done so and apparently the first use of dna evidence to like convict someone was in the uk in like 1985 So I have no idea um, when this movie is meant to be set and it is still confusing. Elaine claims that the guys who have mysteriously died around her all died of loving her too much and I don't think that's going to fly as a defence. Then Griff, love him or hate him, he is spitting straight facts because he says her version of love borders on a personality disorder and that no one's love is enough for her and that no one will ever be able to love her enough because the amount of love that she craves in a relationship is just unreachable she is a black hole which can never be filled he also calls her like little baby doll sex kitten act creepy which thank you griff for calling her out and she says that she takes what she needs from men now and she isn't going to be used by them and also kind of calls him out for being unable to love which i mean fair he then arrests her for the illegal burial of wayne's body which is smart and definitely also something they would do on law and Order but he says they're going to try and get her for murder later. But unfortunately, before that can happen, they are attacked by a mob of angry patrons once they've realised that she's the one to blame for the murder that's been in the news. The men swarm over her and they shout burn the witch, but they're also taking their belts off and she's like lying on the floor. And again, it kind of calls back to that initiation where she was lying prone on the, the altar and it kind of looked like the men were just going to have their way with her. There's actually a picture that Trish sees in her room, which is like a bunch of men around a woman on an altar. So, although in the initiation scene we don't necessarily see more men than game like take advantage of her, that picture does kind of imply that that is what happened. Griff saves her from this attack and takes her away in his police car. They go back to her apartment. We then see in the apartment that the police badge is now on the guy shrine, and he is sitting on the bed with a, a cut face looking kind of in shock or like he's already had the potion. But it is then revealed that he hasn't because she brings a cup of it in for him. He then refuses to drink the potion and knocks it out of her hand onto the floor, uh, mirrored in the picture that she's been painting of the lady riding the unicorn with a spilled cup on the ground. She then sees him as just a white skull on like a black mod suit body morph suit things people whether when they pretend to be slender man or putty is from the bow rangers one of them but with a white skull on so i started to think maybe she'd have the potion she was hallucinating unclear but she then hears the voices of the dead men saying that they love her and then has a little bit of a freak out because griff has failed to drink the potion so she grabs her asthma and stabs him three times While he is lying dead on the bed and she's sitting next to him with a beautific smile on her face, she then hallucinates back to the Renaissance fair and their mock wedding, where he appears as Prince Charming on a unicorn. And uh, then she gets to ride off on this, this amazing unicorn in this sort of fairy tale land. So she appears to be having a complete break from reality and is now in her painting world of imaginings. And that's where the film ends. Now, i got to say, I wasn't sure what to make of this ending. I kind of read it as her realising that the only way that she could kind of keep these men forever and keep their love forever was to kill the real them so that the fantasy of them could live on. The Wikipedia page for the movie, which um, I went to to find out who had written and directed it, seems to think that she has a realisation that what Griff said is true and that no one will ever be able to love her as much as she wants them to so i guess it's kind of open to interpretation now overall i did kind of like the film Uh, i liked that there was a lot of witch stuff in it although a lot of the witch stuff was that kind of 1960s ceremonial magic looking stuff which i'm not necessarily as into Uh, i liked that we got to see her doing some witchy arts and crafts which is like a highlight for me I also liked the general aesthetic of the film. It looked really good. The set design was really interesting. All the costumes were adorable and you got to see some really nice hats. So I was keen. I also liked a lot of the themes that went around through it, the sort of feminist take on it. And what I got from it was a a sort of almost an indictment on the way that kind of early coven uh, setup was arranged and the kind of sexist underpinnings of... The movement of like wicker and witchcraft at that time. I don't know if that is intentional or if it's just something I'm reading into it because that's something that I brought to the party but either way I found that the general themes of the film to be quite interesting. I do kind of wish it had ended slightly differently. I wanted there to be maybe more of a redemption of this character. I think maybe because I was coming hot off the craziest girlfriend finale and it kind of made me think of that and how uh, if you haven't seen it go watch it now, it's on Netflix, but basically that is a show which starts with a character much like this, who is obsessed with love, who's obsessed with the man of her dreams, and is this kind of like crazy ex-girlfriend stereotype, but then through like various seasons of like trials and tribulations and medical intervention and therapy kind of grows into a better person who is able to be enough for themselves, and that's kind of what I wanted for her in this because i always kind of want to see the witch have a happy ending but i guess she's happy in her own way until the police come and arrest her i guess i do think it's a really interesting film and definitely one that i would encourage people to watch it's not one that you're going to sit down and you know have a girl's night with it's not really that kind of film it's more of a thinky one to be honest also don't watch it with your mum i say this because it's rated 15 so i initially thought oh okay this is probably going to be okay but I think if this had come out in the 1960s or like 1970s it would have been like an r that there's a lot of like sex in there a lot of nudity and yeah it kind of i feel like rating it as a 15 is, is kind of a struggle i mean it's very a very modern take on the subject matter let's say to rate it as that and i definitely wouldn't say that it was family approved if you'd like to share some of your theories about the sort of background themes and implications of this movie do get in touch on twitter i'd be interested to see your thoughts and also let me know if there are other films that you'd like me to take a look at anything else similar to this that you know of that you think i would enjoy and you can do that in the normal way by twitter or commenting on the youtube version of the podcast and in the meantime i'll see you in the next one bye